G'day guys and welcome to the Coach Mark Carroll podcast. Today's episode is on a topic that gets talked about a lot lately and that's how many sets do you need to build muscle? So like sets as in, you know, how many sets do you need in the gym of an exercise? For example, you know, are you doing three sets or are you doing, you know, 10 sets in the workout for a muscle group? Lately, there's a lot of a lot of kind of, I think, back and forth between a lot of the best minds in the fitness industry around about, you know, how many working sets you need. There's people who think you need much higher working sets. And then there's other people who think you need much, much less working sets, really, I guess, lower than you'd, you would have thought um, in recent times. And the thing is, is that the people who are kind of debating how many working sets you need are all super, super smart guys who I definitely value their opinions and their knowledge and stuff like that. So it's not like you're getting people who, um, you know, one person's educated and the other person's not educated. You're getting a lot of really, really smart minds agree and then disagree and quite, and in quite a large difference, I guess, in kind of where they sit on the debate. So this episode, I'm going to give you kind of my thoughts around, you know, a lot of the stuff that's kind of being said at the moment because I know it goes over a lot of people's heads. A lot of the people who, you know, listen to me and, you know, just everyday personal trainers or everyday lifters who are just trying to be their best and there's so much information which I think goes over a lot of people's heads and they don't understand it and they often leave I'm even more confused. So I'm going to kind of try and keep things kind of simple and kind of summarize, I guess, different positions and give you kind of my take on things. And with that, hopefully it gives you a bit more clarity on kind of where we stand with how many working sets do you need to build muscle and things like training to failure. So with that, guys, before we get into the episode, as always, please, if you enjoy this episode, Make sure you share to your audience, as always. So many of you have been doing it, which I appreciate. And this, I think, is an episode, I think, hopefully, I provide a lot of value for you and can help really, I think, give some clarity. And as always, if you can please leave a five-star rating on the podcast. Those five-star ratings seems like nothing. Takes 0.1 seconds, but actually really helps me and just a little review. And also make sure you follow the Coach Mark Carroll podcast so you don't have to wait for me on social media to post it. All right, guys. You know, every time I have a break when I'm talking on my own, I need to have a drink and then it feels awkward because I go to have a drink, but then you got that awkward silence because no one else is talking to you. But yeah, podcast issues. All right. Let's do it. All right, so how many sets do you need to build muscle? Now, just so we understand, we're talking working sets. So, for example, if you do a, um, 10 reps of a bench press, you know, you did 10 reps, that's your working set. So that's one working set. We're not including, say, warm-up sets. For example, let's say you're squatting 100 kilos for eight reps that day. You're not including you warming up with the bar, then doing 40 kilos, and then 60 kilos, and 80 kilos for just for a couple of reps, and then you know, 100 kilos as a working set, We're including working sets. So over kind of a recent period, um, the last few years, I know a lot of guys are kind of using, and I was myself kind of using more um, 
I think I really like the Mike Isretel um, model where he was kind of talking around about that 10 to upper end 20 sets of a muscle group. So 10 to 20 working sets. And that's something I kind of looked at quite a lot. And then I know people like um, Brett Contreras, who I really like, um, obviously, as you guys know, but with his stuff of glutes, he was talking um, even higher kind of working sets upwards, I think of 20, 25, 30 working sets. Um for kind of like the lower body. So quite high working sets. And then more recently, um, there's kind of been debates around much lower training volume. Someone again, who you guys know I like, Paul Carter, lift, run, bang. Um, Paul, um, these days, I think his side is kind of taking much, much, much lower volume and more so about taking sets really close to failure and only doing one to two, say, working sets, which you'd probably be like, oh, my God, one to two working sets. But the way Paul's doing it is, you know, high-quality working sets. And, you know, guys like Dorian Yates, one of the famous bodybuilders, I think, in the late 80s from England, who was Mr. Olympia for years, that was his kind of model, I think, when he was at the top of his game. And so the idea was around, you know, I guess on this podcast is – you're getting such a, I guess, conflicting sense of volume and how many sets do you need because you're getting super smart people on, I guess, really, really differing sides of the arguments. And often a coach will cite a study and that study will be more about, you know, one end. But then another person will cite another study and then another person will cite another study. And so with training, I think training's quite an interesting one. My kind of interpretations of research seems that nutrition seems to be a lot more easier to kind of get, I think, probably a better conclusion of things, especially around things like, you know, calories and, you know, we understand energy balance. Whereas training, I think, to build muscle, there's so many more variables, you know, is it a trained person? Is it an untrained person? Um, what's their actual training technique like? What's their recovery outside? You know, muscle building is such a slow process and there's so many variables. So this podcast, I guess, came about today. Um, I saw um, one of the, I guess, good minds in the industry as well, Menno Hensemans. Um, He came out with um, a post today breaking down another study. And so what this study basically said was that um, there was two groups in the study. One group took sets to failure or within around one or two reps, give or take. And then another group in the study took their sets four to six reps away from failure. So four to six reps. So that's a long way off. Like let's say if you stop a set and you had four to six reps in the tank, that's a big difference to stopping a set with say zero reps in the tank. But what was interesting in this study, it seemed that results were actually identical. So the same amount of muscle was built on sets that which were taken to failure versus nowhere near failure, nowhere near failure as in, four to six reps, which is still a large difference. And what I believe was the main um, conclusion of why the same muscle amount was built was that the volume was accounted for. So the way you can kind of look at volume, there's ways different people kind of look at volume, but primarily you can say sets times reps 
times load. So again, I'll repeat that. So volume is often measured as sets times reps times load. For example, so you do one set of 10 reps at 100 kilos of your squat. So one set again, so let's say you did one set of 10 reps of 100 kilos. So that means you did 10 reps of 100 kilos. So you you train, you moved basically 1,000 kilograms um, in that one working set. So that's the way you can look at volume. And sometimes you can just look at volume as, say, total working sets. But in this regard, what we're now looking at was the total volume. So the, the sets times reps times load, I believe, was the driver. And what happened was equal muscle mass seemed to have been built from people not taking sets to failure versus taking sets to failure. And this was quite interesting because something that has been recently said a lot and something I've also said a lot is kind of pushing more what we call the effective reps model. So what the hell does that mean? The effective reps model is basically kind of taking a look at Let's say you do 10 reps in a set, right? You do 10 working, um, you do a set of 10 reps and 10 reps is where you reach value. You can't achieve another rep. So the idea of the effective reps model is that the last few reps of your 10 rep set is probably the key reps to achieving hypertrophy adaptations. So let's say you do 10 reps. You know, if you do a say a 10 rep set of squats, the first few reps aren't hard. It's only later in the set you start to fatigue and then your rep speed slows down. You're trying to, say, squat up as fast as you can and it, your rep speed keeps slowing down, not by choice. It's involuntary. But each each rep slows down in that 10 reps, that final rep of your set, it's a real grind. You're struggling. Instead of just bouncing up, it's like a three, four seconds um, concentric. So three, four seconds to drive up. So what this kind of means or what they're kind of looking at when we're talking effective reps is that probably it's the last few reps of that set, which is triggering potential hypertrophy adaptations. And this is what we call, I'm trying to think of a simple way, but basically what we look for as the key driver these days, probably of muscle building is what we call mechanical tension. I repeat, mechanical tension is probably what is considered as the, probably the key mechanism to building muscle. So mechanical tension in a really, really, really simple way of looking at things is, is when you start to fatigue and the way you kind of, if you're watching a set is, as I said, that kind of velocity of your rep so that your bar speed starts to slow down. So your ability to push or move the weight quickly begins to slow down. The more it starts to slow down, the higher the mechanical tension is kicking in. And so that's what we kind of think is probably the key driver of growth um, or what the effective reps model looks like. So, for example, if you do 10 reps, all 10 reps are not equally as hard. You know, the last three reps of the set are when things start to get really difficult. And so the effective reps model is kind of saying, well, yeah, we did 10 reps, but probably it's only the last five, four, three, two, one reps that are probably what is triggering hypertrophy. So what does this mean? Well, the whole idea was that with the effective reps model, it's saying if the last few reps are what leads to hypertrophy adaptations, then obviously you want to be taking your sets to close to failure, right? Because if you're, if you're stopping 
well away from failure, then that means not many reps are very effective for producing hypertrophy adaptation. So if you're doing, say, 10 reps and you're doing a weight you could get 15, 20 reps on, it means pretty much none of the rep, reps are going to be what we call effective. And so it was pretty kind of a simple concept is that, hey, let's take sets to failure or very close to failure because those reps will probably be most ideal for building muscle. But then that's where obviously a study like the Menno study today he was talking about is that both groups, one group which took sets to failure and then the other group took sets four to six reps away from failure produced similar hypertrophy adaptations, which kind of then not discredits the effective reps, but it just, again, throws another spanner in the works, I guess, to it. It's like, all right, well, maybe it's not just this. And this is the kind of thing when we're looking at building muscle, we know that low reps can build muscle, moderate reps can build muscle, and high reps can build muscle. So if a five rep set can build muscle and a 25 rep set can build muscle, it's like you want to kind of look at, well, what is probably the key? And that key was probably if you're taking sets close to failure, that's going to trigger adaptations, whether it's low reps, moderate reps, or high reps. So what does this mean? Like how many sets should we be doing for for hypertrophy? Well, here's the thing. As annoying as it probably is, there's not a blanket approach to it. All right, so this is something I've, I've been talking to a lot of people about, a lot of other people in the industry is it's probably not as easy just to say, hey, do 20 sets or do 10 sets or three sets. There's nuance to it. There's different muscle groups. There's different priorities for each lifter. There's what is your recoverability like? What is your stress levels like? Um, what exercises are you taking to failure? How hard are you actually training on those sets? So some of the things I kind of look for, again, as I said, like if you're measuring like how many working sets to do, you need to think, well, am I taking the sets to all out failure? So I know, as I said, Paul Carter, lift, run, bang. Um, Paul prefers much lower working sets, but he's also specifically saying to take these sets to failure. If you're going to do one to two working sets, working sets, that's the key, you're going to have to go to failure. You can't go, hey, I'm going to do a little bit of effort and not work all that hard and, you know, be like, oh, that's it. You know, you're going all out in those one to two working sets. They have to be quality. Likewise, if you're going to be doing 10 or up to 20, 25 working sets for a muscle group over the course of the week, keyword week, we're not doing, say, 25 sets of glutes on Monday. It's over divided over multiple days of the week. Then if you're doing 25 working sets, for example, you're not going to be able to take all 25 working sets to failure. Definitely not. So the more you push a working set to failure, the less you can do. The less you take a set super close to failure, the more work you can do. And so that's one of the, the things that I think people need to understand is that it's going to really, a lot of the time, depend on how hard you work in the set. It depends on, you know, even like what is your technique like? And so, you know, there's no such thing as like a perfect technique, but there's probably better technique, especially when you start to fatigue. So if you've ever watched someone who's really advanced train, when they reach close to failure, they don't lose their 
technique. They might do, say, not as large a range of motion and because they can't finish the rep, but they're still in control of their reps. Whereas you see, say, a more beginner client take a set to failure, their form just looks horrendous. And the difference between, say, a beginner and an advanced lifter is that when an, an advanced lifter takes a set to failure, they're generally trying to make it as hard as possible on that working muscle. They don't want to take the work away from the muscle. They're just doing whatever they can. So that's why they might do, say, partial reps. And they're doing a partial rep not to make it easier, but they're just doing a partial rep to keep it in that muscle they're trying to train and just do what range of motion they have still available. Whereas, say, a more beginner, novice um, lifter, when they get close to failure, they're thinking, oh, my God, how can I get the pain away from this muscle group? How can I make this easier? And they start to, you know, swing the weight or they start to use, try to use other muscles to um, contribute because they're just kind of focusing on, say, moving the weight from point A to B. Whereas what we want to be doing is if we're going to take to failure, we want to keep trying to localize that fatigue to that specific muscle tissue. This is why, again, another variable is like, well, what is your ability like to actually keep quality technique when you're really fatiguing? And that's why as an advanced lifter, you're probably actually going to have a better ability to get more quality reps done in a fatigue state. Likewise, as a beginner, you're probably going to have not nearly as good ability to take a working set really close to failure without a large amount of probably detrimental technique breakdown then you could also look at going well training to failure is hard it's stressful on the body potentially um, from a standpoint of well it's going to hurt um, you have to be really kind of mentally dialed in you have to be really wanting to push it and there's other factors like well what's the exercise like am i taking a conventional deadlift to failure and trying to push that past failure not what we want, or we're trying to take, say, a lying leg curl to failure, which is going to be much more um, safer and easier to really push. Then, so if I'm kind of going, all right, well, how many working sets are we doing? I'm also going to be looking at, well, what is their ability like to train? Like, How many days a week can they train? What's their ability to um, um then outside the gym, what's their um, recovering like? Are they doing positive things to recover or are they um, living a super, super stressful life or they're, say, trying to run half a marathon in six weeks' time and so they're tr running four times a week whilst trying to crush the gym? So maybe training super, super to failure might not be the most ideal thing at the time right then while they're trying to push other components of say health and fitness so this is why it's not always just the most blanket approach and that's why i generally kind of like to use a more middle ground approach i don't necessarily use crazy volume but i definitely don't go super low volume because i think it can be um, really hard to actually do that well for majority of everyday lifters so I was talking to my brother, Glenn, about this and, um, you know, my kind of takeaway from probably learning about this a lot, reading a lot, listening to a lot of different great minds around this in the fitness industry. And, you know, if you ask me how many working sets do I need to do for a muscle group, I'd probably say something along these lines. If you're taking a training super, super hard 
and you're going to taking us working sets to all out failure. You're not only taking those sets to failure, but you're doing a great job of doing it. You're not having a large amount of technique breakdown. You're really, really choosing the correct exercises to push it. If you're taking sets really close to failure and training super hard, you probably need much less working sets. Okay. But if you're not taking sets as close to failure, you're say holding sets back three, four, five, six, seven reps from failure. You're not in an ability where you can handle a lot of pain and don't want to feel in a position where you're having, you know, a lot of technique kind of potential breakdown and you're wired out more, just, you know, crushing really good technique at the moment. And you're not into the let's train and balls to wall at the moment. If you're training further away from failure, then you're probably going to need more working sets to deliver the same hypertrophy adaptations. So think of it like this. The harder you probably train within your set sessions, the less working sets you probably need to trigger hypertrophy adaptations. Whilst the less super, super intense you train, the less you're taking sets to all-out failure, probably then it's an idea to do more working sets. So this is where it's kind of the you're finding the, the right middle ground. And as that study... Um, I mentioned earlier showing that sets which were taken about four to six reps away from failure in the set probably shows that not everyone has to train to all out failure, but in order to, to get the same or similar hypertrophy results, you need to then account for that volume, which means you probably need to do more, more working sets and spend longer in the gym to get that same response. So if you want to do less, you have to go all out. It has to be super, super quality. Or if you want to um, not go so all out in your working sets and have a little bit less quality quality of like all in out intense, then you're probably going to need quantity focus work. So a bit more volume. So that's kind of the way, you know, my kind of summary is, is that of all these variables, it seems like, a lot of things work. That's the funny kind of thing um, with training. And when I kind of look at, you know, what I've done with people and what people say on one side of the, the spectrum and then a person says on the other side of the spectrum and they're training people and they're all getting results. So what is the common denominator? That's what you often kind of want to think. And you don't, for me, you know, I never have kind of sides of like, you know, I, I, I'm not really, I don't care which, either way for me i'm just going oh what, what would help my clients get the best results you know i'm happy to be wrong i'm happy to be wrong so i can learn more and keep getting better results for my clients because then i think man imagine if i can get trained world champions imagine if i can get some of the best results in the world for years and what i'm doing isn't even the best of the best right now going off the science and then that excites me because i think well I can even get better. I can get even people be even better and better results right now. If I keep learning more, um, that's exciting to me. So that's why, again, like I'm, I don't mind what, whichever way it is because I'm not married anyway. And it's just for me, training programs. How can I get the best results for clients? But this is where I'd say the, the, the key kind of take home points. And I saw this from Alan Aragon, who's one of the best nutrition minds in the world. Um, 
I highly recommend checking out Alan Aragon um, over in America. And, you know, I saw him summarize a post today on Instagram, um, Glenn, my brother sent to me and he said this. So just so you know, as I said, this is from Alan Aragon. Um, so I'm stealing this from him. So go check out Alan. Um, he said around that when you're training for hypertrophy, if you're train, training for hypertrophy purposes, some of the things that you need to kind of focus on is, well, if you probably want to be training to failure or very close to failure. So when we say that close to failure is probably, you know, within one to two, three reps from failure. So just think if you're doing a, say, a set of 100 kilos of, of say, a squat for 10 reps, you probably can't do more than two to three away from that. That's probably where you want to be majority of the time. Sure, you can do sets of um, 100 kilos if it's not all that hard, but majority of your sets, you do want to get at least closer to failure. But do you do need to do this on every exercise? No. And what seems to be the case is probably... And this is what you, if you guys know from my programs, I always talk about trying to have the final set of your exercise be probably your hardest. So that's why, again, I, I like using Glenn, Glenn and I for Carol Performance. We talk about a lot of this in our program design and in my programs, step loading. So step loading is where you have small weight increases set to set. So that allows you to finish the final set of the ex, each exercise and on your highest load. Um, and then for training to failure, you want exercises which are going to be um, less complex when really trying to push to failure. So what that kind of means is exercises which are going to be probably more safer for you to fail and give you more stability. So things like, say, a machine exercise or an isolation exercise is probably going to be better, better to take to all-out failure than, say, a low-bar squat or a deadlift. Then if you're going to take sets to failure – then if you're going to probably, I guess I've already found that if you're going to take sets to super, super close to failure, you probably don't need as many sets as I spoke about. Um, and then as well, from a load perspective, this is something I, I definitely kind of have seen as well, is hypertrophy, you probably don't need as heavier loads to um, take to failure, but you want those sets closer to failure. Whereas strength, strength adaptations, you probably... Obviously, strength adaptations, we're going to want sets like lower reps because strength adaptations are going to be what we call neurological adaptations primarily. So neurological adaptations um, are generally going to be in like that one to five rep range. And then hypertrophy is going to be more what we call structural adaptations, and they're generally going to be more slightly higher rep ranges. But for strength, not taking sets to failure majority of the time probably is ideal and you could probably do more sets then. That's why when I like to program, say, squats and deadlifts, I prefer more sets, um, four to five sets often, without as much and but holding them back a little bit from failure. So I really try to focus on just adding weight each week. Um, but I do more sets for strength. I like to think of strength as a skill, so we want that repetition. Whereas hypertrophy, you probably can get away with less working sets if you're taking things to failure. Okay, so long story short, guys, kind of, is that right now there's nothing set in stone with muscle building, okay? And that's the, the funny thing, you know, I was talking to a few people about in the fitness industry is that often you're like, all right, cool, this is it, this is what we need to do. And then a, a study will come out and that conflicts that. And then another study comes out and conflicts this. 
And what you're trying to do is you're just trying to kind of piece the clues together. So pretty much from all the best minds, I, I see that nothing's set in stone right now. It's just, all right, we learn a little bit more. We learn a little bit more. But you also want to think like, what is that common denominator? Obviously, you want to get in the gym. You want to train with um, choosing good exercises appropriate to your goal. You want to be using quality technique. You want to be training hard. You want to be then backing that up with obviously quality nutrition, calories um, suitable to your body composition goal, and obviously protein and things like that. So when trying to, for the most part, get the best results possible, try to not major in the minors, okay? So try not to get too stressed up, uh, stressed out, like, oh, like how many sets? Am I wrong if I do 12 working sets or instead of nine working sets? Am I, is, are my results going to be ruined? No, guys. Try not to get too stressed out on so many of these things um, because it just adds complexity, which probably doesn't need to be, and people start to overthink things. So as I said, if you're going to go super, super balls to wall and working sets, just like your life depends on it, you probably need less working sets. If you're going to train, you know, in a more standard manner and hold sets back from all out failure for majority of your sets and just say finish with a top end heavy set, then you're probably going to need a little bit more working sets. And, you know, sometimes one of, one of the goals is more, or one of the ways is more appropriate to one person and the other ways are more appropriate to the other person. So it really kind of depends. But long story short, crush the basics. That's that's that is what's going to um, be probably the winning formula for majority of us is get in the gym, train smart, lift well, lift with quality um, technique. As I said, do the basics well, and you know piece by piece each study each each year you learn a little bit more. And I'm sure whatever we're learning right now. It will probably change a slight bit our interpretations or our our knowledge around a topic in next year and the next year and next year. Doesn't that mean everything what you're doing right now is wrong? It just means each year you kind of have, have as we get better research, you're just kind of learning a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. But for the most part, there's probably not a magic kind of set amount right now. So try not to stress about it. Try to focus on the quality, do the basics well, and that will probably be a winning formula for the most part. And just keep learning because the more you learn, the more you can learn from different people. Um, I think the better it is to kind of try and find out what works best for you yourself. So guys, thank you as always. I hope this gave you a bit of clarity on kind of what's going on at the moment, but also it probably left you a bit more confused because there wasn't a definitive answer but that is science you know that is learning that there's often not a black and white as much as we would love to say this is black and white this is the perfect amount it probably isn't like that yet with the available um, research and knowledge we have but it allows us to kind of know still a very solid amount to get great results so guys if you enjoyed this episode please like um, and share to your audience and for anyone who um, you think will add value to it when you share on social media, it helps so much. So thank you guys. And as always, I'll catch you next time.